This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. In the book of Colossians, which is what we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to the church in Colossae, Greece. And he's writing them to both affirm their faith and to address some potential problems that are arising within that church. To open the letter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul leads with thankfulness and then points them, points people to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. How much better could our lives be if when we had a difficult conversation that we needed to have, we led with thankfulness? Instead of just trying to make a point, we realize that we are often in situations to make a difference. And he does. He begins by just saying, hey, there's so much within you that we see. When we think of this, we just always thank God for that. And so it's a really powerful reminder, but then he shifts the focus to Jesus. And I love the way Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is rendered in Eugene Peterson's The Message, where he writes, my, my counsel for you, he's writing this church, my, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master, now live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Throughout this letter, over and over again, this letter points us to Jesus and makes Christ the supreme issue. Now I want to just make an observation with that. A lot of times we say, my, my issue in life is I, I, we need to do something about our marriage. And we'll say, well, communication skills must be the issue, right? We need to learn how to communicate better. But communication skills don't matter if you haven't resolved the very first question. And that question is, does Jesus Christ rule and reign over your marriage? Some of us... Right now, I'd say, well, the issue in my life is parenting. My kids are doing this, and man, if I could really get some better disciplinary skills, that would help me. And, and, and I think throughout this letter, Paul's helping us see that that's, that's not the issue. That's a secondary issue. The first issue is, does Jesus Christ rule and reign supreme over your family? Some of us might say, I want to win with money. I'm, I'm struggling. We're not doing real well right now. And that's... The, the secondary issue is, do you know how to do a budget? The first and most primary issue is, does Jesus Christ rule and reign over your finances? Jesus is, for all of us, the supreme issue. And in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is going to invite us into what Jesus has already purchased for us. He's going to invite us into the new. I love how he opens the chapter. Look at this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, 
set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Since you've been raised to new life, set your sights on heaven. I mean, have you ever thought about what your sights are set on? What you're looking to? What you desire? And he said, no, look, you've been given a new life. And when that comes alive inside of you, that there's something in your perspective that shifts. You get new vision, and the new vision leads to new life. Set your sights on heaven. Don't set your sights on the things of the earth. So look where he goes, verse 10. So put on your new nature. Now in the chapter that preceded this, he told us that our nature of sin, which is how we were born, was cut away. And we learned that sin, before we come to Jesus, isn't just what we do, it's who we are. I am born a sinner. And because I was born a sinner, that sin nature needs to be dealt with before we can really deal with sin as what I do. And he says, no, when you come to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, there's a resurrection that happens on the inside. You get a new nature. And when you put on your new nature, you are being renewed as you learn to know your creator. New nature. Sin is cut away. I'm now alive in Jesus Christ. And when I'm free in that capacity, now I'm free to know and serve and follow Jesus. And this is important because some of us have viewed Jesus as an upgrade. He's going to help me be a little bit better in my marriage, a little bit better with my spouse. He's going to make my finances a little, it's just going to upgrade. And here's the thing, Jesus doesn't simply offer you a better life. This isn't the offer of Scripture. Andy Stanley famously said that Jesus doesn't necessarily make our lives better, but he makes us a lot better at life. He doesn't simply offer you a better life. Jesus offers you a new life. A new life. And in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is going to dive in to the invitation that God has given us into the new. It's going to give us a little bit of perspective Help us to see some things. We're going to start here. So we're going to go to verse 2 in just a second. But if you're taking notes, I'd write this down. New always starts on the inside. New always starts on the inside. We like to think new starts on the outside. Oh, if I feel like something in my life needs to, to, to change. Well, i got to get a new car, or i got to get a new house, or I need some new clothes, or I need to lose some weight. New starts on the outside, but that's not the way the Bible shows us. It's actually reverse engineering life change. Notice exactly where he goes next, verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You've been given a new life, so now think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I find it so interesting that a triune God, 
God, that we believe eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one created triune beings. That we are body, soul, and spirit. Every one of us knows that. Because we know that there's something to me that is bigger than this. There is something to me that is different than this. There's something to me that is going to outlast this. We are body, soul, and spirit. The body that will, as some of us have learned, as we've gotten older, will waste away. It's not going to stay the same. But there's a lot of us that is not seen. You know, there's a reality that's present there that I just want to spend a moment talking about. That there's a lot of who you are that is not seen. There's a lot of who you are. There, we we are, are seen, but so much of who I am is not seen. It is happening on the inside. We, we know body, okay, but soul and spirit. It's as if life originates in the unseen and then resonates into what is seen. Now, my wife and I moved into a, a new house this past year. We have three kids. We, we have two boys and, and a girl, and because she's a girl and needed the bathroom that she would eventually need all to herself, she got a room downstairs, and the boys are upstairs sharing a bathroom and sharing a room. Now, what's awesome about our new house is that we, for the first time, as parents, have a playroom, okay? And we have a playroom, which to translate that into parent talk means the kids' toys are no longer in the living room, okay? We now have another place to put them. There's another room in the house, so when there's a toy, you can just go, why is that here? Take that to the playroom. Now, our boys are morning people. I mean, I mean, like, they woke up this morning at 5 o'clock, like, hey, Mom, can I get out of bed yet? No, it's 5. What are you doing? It's Sunday morning. No, go back to bed. They're morning people. So every once in a while, they will wake up and do what boys do, start playing from our bedroom or from the living room, all throughout the hall. And, and, and the playroom is literally as far away as you can get. It's down the hall, up the stairs. It's just way far away. And so they'll, they'll start playing, and the echoes of what they're doing carry on throughout the house. And you know what's interesting is, is just by listening to the sounds as they reverberate down the, the hallway and towards us, I, I can tell if things are going well or if old dad needs to get up there, right? I can tell. I can tell. And, and it's the same way with us. Our lives originate in a place, and then they echo and echo into what we see as our physical reality. We are bodies and souls and spirits. And to put the soul in just kind of a tangible way for you to understand it, our, our soul is our, our minds and our hearts all wrapped into one. This is where thoughts are born and where emotions come from. And so, what does the Apostle Paul start by saying here? He starts by saying, no, change your thoughts. Choose new. Think about the things of heaven. Why? Because new life 
starts with new thoughts. Some of y'all want a new life thinking the exact same things you've always thought. You're not going to get new life with the same thoughts. New life starts with new thoughts. This is why Paul immediately says, no, no, think about the things of heaven. It's as if he's saying, fight for a better perspective. Fight to see things differently. Fight to see God at work in the world. Fight to see God at work in your marriage. Fight to see God at work in your career. Fight to see Him at work in your life. Think about the things of heaven. Now let's make this real personal for a second. What do you think about? What are the thoughts that captivate your mind? Is it fear? I'm, I'm afraid that... What's going to happen to my baby when he goes? What if, what if my husband meets somebody? Is it worry? Is it, is it stress? i got so much to do. I'll never be able to. Is it lust? And when I say lust in a room like this, it's real easy for your minds to go, that guy that's sitting in front of a computer looking at pornography, but I want you to hear me, that there are a lot of people that lust for a lot of other things. Some of us wake up wanting someone to compliment us for how we look. That's lust. Some of us think, I'm going to pick that outfit because I know when I choose that outfit, that person's going to say, that's lust. What about frustrations? Last year and a half, there's been a lot to get frustrated about with other people, culturally. Or are your thoughts consumed with the things of heaven? You know what? I, I think the Apostle Paul knows this, and he's, he's showing us that we're never going to win at life. We're never going to win with the wrong thoughts. Your, your thoughts are many ways, in many ways, they're your choice. Which is why we're... we're told to think about these things and choose these things and let your mind dwell on these things. I think that's why in, Rev or in Romans 12, verse 2, it says this, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, there's a way that this world thinks, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Be transformed not just in what you do, not just in what you look like, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Be transformed here because new life starts on the inside. And then, number two, I want you to see this, our choices on the inside set up our life on the outside. Our choice, what's going on on the inside, the choices that we're making will set up our life on the outside. In verse 5, Paul says this, so put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you. Now notice what he said here. Put to death. He didn't say, wait for God to put it to death. One day God's going to show up and rescue you. No, he said, make the choice. Make the conscious, aware, intentional choice that you're going to put it to death. 
your choice. What you let live in here is your choice. Now, I want to be real honest about choices, okay? Because I, I, I feel like when we, we talk about our life and the impact of choice, that there's some things that need to be said. There are a lot of things that aren't your choice in life that have a major impact on who you are and what your life is going to look like. I mean, your family of origin is a big deal, where, where you were born into, okay? You didn't choose your family. It's not like God kind of pulled you aside before you were born and said, all right, you can choose this family, like they're crazy, very dramatic, or you can choose this family, they're stoic and they never say anything that's remotely kind or affectionate. And you're like, some of you are going, those are my family. <laughs> I don't know which one to pick. You didn't get that choice. You were born into your family and you know this. Other people might not know it, but your family was crazy. Some of us are crazy and just really good at hiding it. And so you were born into a family that had some junk, proverbially in grandma's trunk that got junk in the trunk. I'm sorry, that's a horrible joke. Sorry. It's a family heirloom, just keeps getting passed down. But it's true. The Bible talks about the effects of our sin. It's not just being in our lives that they are in our lives and in our kids' lives and in their kids' lives. It matters. And you didn't get to choose the environment that you were born into. You didn't get to choose the culture you were born into. Now, there are tremendous advantages to having been born where we were born. Right? We can do this and not worry. You realize that right now around the world there are people who are doing this, and they know that if the wrong people show up, that... They could be arrested and even killed for this. And what can happen is we can start to, because of the advantages of where we were born, take some things for granted and not be thankful for some things. You didn't choose the culture that you were born into. And you didn't choose the other people that were in your life and their actions towards you. You didn't choose what your teachers said to you. Some of us had some very encouraging teachers, but... In a room with this many people, there were some of us that didn't. Some of us had some very encouraging coaches. But again, in a room this size, there were some that did not. It's important to know that we don't get to choose those things. But I want you to pay attention to the, the nature of what we're talking about. The things you can't control are on the outside. My family, my culture, the choices of other people. I can't control, but I do have a choice for what is happening on the inside. I do. And here's what I can say because of that. Your life is the culmination of your choices. Your life today is the culmination of your choices in the past. So let me deconstruct that for a second. If you grew up in poverty... All right, if you grew up in poverty, we know that poverty is a cycle. It's a pattern of learned behaviors that people adapt from year to year to year, generation to generation. But there are people who take a step back and go, not me, not anymore. I am 
gonna, I'm making a different choice. My, and people break the cycle and they don't follow the patterns of sin that existed before them. We know that there are people in a culture like ours who will see it for what it is. And if you look back through the history of the last 2,000 years, the people who in cultures have stood up and said, this is sinful, this is broken, have most often been believers and followers of Jesus. And it also means that there are people who experienced the most unimaginable thing from people that should have loved them and cared for them. Who, in the wake of that injustice and pain, said, I'm, I am not, I'm not going to let that hold me captive. You may not have had a choice in what happened to you, but you certainly have a choice and how you'll respond to it. And our choices on the inside set up our life on the outside. Choices matter. I know this because I'm a parent of a four-year-old, and um, we say all the time, make good choices. It's probably the most popular phrase that we utter in our entire house. As a matter of fact, there's a list of bad choices that he's made over the last few months at daycare that we have to every month, every morning when we drop them off, we go through that list. Are we going to make good choices today? We're not going to do this, and we're not going to do this, and we're not, we just walk through that list. Why? Because I know he can't. He can make the choice to say, I'm not, I'm not. We talk about choices, but you know what, what choices matter for you and they matter for me? You know what's also true? God led relationally with us, God led with the choice. And here's the choice that's present in this chapter. God chose you. He chose you. And he chose you for himself. God chose you for himself. Look, it's present in verse 12. Look at this. Since God chose you so that you would be acknowledged so that you would be blessed, so that you would be highly favored, so that you would get the job that you always wanted, have the marriage you always wanted, and have the kids that you always dreamed you would. No. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God chose you to be what? Holy, set apart, different. So that what? You would be the people that he loves. Again, there's more choices right there. More choices. Clothe yourself. Which means to, to choose to put on. To make the conscious cognitive choice that I'm going to make the effort in my life to put these things on. And what does he say? Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I don't know if you're looking at the world like I am, but that, I had seen a whole lot of people clothed with that recently. That actually 
seems like the exact opposite from what the world's telling you to look like. You go scrolling through Instagram today looking for personal advice on who you're supposed to be. You're not going to run across advice that says, no, humble yourself. Be gentle. Be patient. I'm just going to be honest with you. Every time I see patience in a verse in the Bible, I just get a little scared, okay? It's a little intimidating. And in this moment, I'm like, what? That seems so different. It seems so different than who we're trying to be, the life we're trying to live. But that's the point. God wants his people to be different, not just believe different. He wants you to look different. When people offend you, God wants you to look different. He wants your marriage to look different. He wants your family to look different. He wants your values to look different. He wants your choices. He wants you to be different. Not just believe different. And for so many of us, we have relegated Jesus kind of like an upgrade. Like, oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna use, I'm not really gonna, I'm not ready to upgrade my, my air conditioning to like dual zone climate control, but I'd really like to upgrade to the heated seat. So I can I'll take you, Jesus, in this area of my life, but not over here. But look at what verse 17 says. Whatever you do, whatever you do or say. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through God the Father, whatever you do. Now, I'm going to make a confession. Don't hold this against me, okay? For the longest time, I refused to have anything on my car that identified me as a Christian. Because when I passed somebody on the road, and I was driving as horribly as I was known to have drove, I did not want them to go, what is that Christian driving like that? We took, we took some of our staff away this week to a conference, and we, we were sitting around having dinner, and I asked them questions like, what is the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? And one of, one of them said afterwards, I was like, I didn't think of it, but I should have said riding with you in your car. <laughs> I was, I, sometimes I'm just ADD. Sometimes I forget I'm driving. I'm just not in life. Just not. I'm, I'm super thankful for the guidance control on my current vehicle that keeps my car between the lines. I drive considerably better now. I'm not even joking. Did you notice the whatever? Did you notice whatever? Whatever you do or say. Whether you're driving or in a line at Food Lion or at a table in a restaurant where you're frustrated because your food is slow. Whether you're online talking politics or you're sitting down next to somebody at work. Whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say whatever? Because it's all supposed to be about Jesus. Your, your job is supposed to be a place where you meet Jesus. Your, your family is supposed to be a place where you meet Jesus. It's all supposed to be about Jesus. Whatever you do. God didn't choose you to try to Pump up your self-esteem and make you feel special. C.S. Lewis once time postured the question, why in Scripture does God always say that he deserves the glory? Seems awful selfish that when everything goes right, we're supposed to turn to God and say, God, you get the glory for this. And Lewis said, no, it's not. It's the most loving thing that our God could do 
when he knows that our fragile egos cannot handle the glory. God chose you for himself. He chose you for himself. God wants to love you. That's why you're here today. It's why God made you. He wants, not, not just for you to love him, he just wanted to love you. And in that, he sent his son Jesus, who died in our place, so that the issue of sin could be taken care of and we could be invited into a new life. Not just a better life, not just an upgrade, into a new life. And this invitation changes everything. Literally everything. If you've read the third chapter of Colossians, you know that about two-thirds through the chapter, Paul flips his tone around. He starts talking about stuff. And you're like, where'd this come from, Paul? Why are you writing about this stuff all of a sudden? seems out of kind of left field. But when you see what he's writing as the extension of the invitation into a new life, maybe what he's doing is showing us how the newness changes everything. So we're going to go through that as we kind of wrap things up. And I want you to see, first of all, that the, the new life Jesus creates inside transforms our families and our marriages. It transforms our, our families and our marriages. When, when, when Jesus comes alive on the inside, it will transform your family and your marriage. He begins in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And I know in a room this size, in the culture that we live in, there's some women going, uh-uh. That ain't, I ain't doing that. You don't know my husband. You don't know. I can't do that. If I did that, do you know what he would do? But at the same time, these are the same wives who are saying, something feels like it's missing. Something feels like it's, it's broken. There's something that's not going right. The next verse, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. I love this verse because it, it speaks to the reality that we've been talking through, that new is born on the inside and then resonates to the outside. Love your wives. Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Paul said in Ephesians, that husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving up your life for them. The, the inward reality, the inward choice to love, reflects then and reverberates on the outside. I'm, I'm going to treat them differently. I'm going to treat them differently. Fathers, in the next verse, do not aggravate your children. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not real good at this one. I love aggravating my kids. My kids get super mad when I tell a dad joke. That happened with anybody else. But this morning, I brought two of them to church early with me, 
And I told a dad joke, and they both died laughing, so I think there's hope, okay? Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or what? They will become discouraged. Dads, listen to me for a moment. What does it mean to be discouraged? It means to have courage removed. I want you to hear what I'm saying. As a dad, you have the authority and the privilege to put courage into the hearts of your kids. You can look at them when they doubt themselves and say, you can do it, baby. I believe in you. God's got this. He's not going to let you down. And then the next verse. Children. Now, we all love it. If you're a parent, you cheer for this verse. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Some of y'all are going, man, I wish my kids would hear that one. Are they teaching that down there in Vortex Kids today? I hope they are. Always obey your parents. You want to know what? This is the product. This is what happens when new life comes alive inside a family and kids see a father that wants to put courage in them and they see a mom who wants to honor and serve her husband and love them. They see that stuff come alive. Something different happens. Something different happens. And here's where some of us are today. We keep going, God, I know you said to do that, but I don't want to do that. But God, I want the results. I want the results doing it my way. You won't get God's results using your own methods. You want what God has for you? You got to do it God's way. So Paul talks about how the newness affects our marriage and our family. But then he switches gears and he talks about the newness of Christ and how it transforms our daily purpose. Now, the, the language, argumentatively, um, it, at the end of the chapter is, is, is difficult. It's difficult because it uses the language of slaves and masters, okay? But understand, part of the context for Paul to know this church was through a slave that he met in prison and led to the Lord. A, a slave by the name of Philemon that he is sending back to a member of this church, Onesimus. When we read this... We can read this in the context, not just of, of slavery, but we can read this in the context of work. Look at it. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do and try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them because they're going to give you a paycheck at the end of the week. Ser serve them because the benefits of this job or what your family needs. Serve them because they're going to help you get that promotion you've always wanted. No, serve them because of your reverent fear of the Lord. There's something deeply connected to our relationship and the work that God calls us into. Because hear me, hear me, work is a calling, not a curse. Work is a calling, not a curse. Genesis 3, man sins, but in Genesis 2, man gets a job. Before sin ever came into the world, God looked at Adam and said, I created all this, now you go subdue it and bring it under submission. Adam got a job before there was sin. After sin, God said, well, your job just got harder. 
Work is always going to be at the center of your calling and purpose, which is why, look at the very next verse. Work begrudgingly with a sarcastic tone at whatever you do. No, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Do you see what he's saying here? A lot of time our attitude when it comes to work is like, yeah, but my boss is this and my coworker's this and that's this. And he's saying, no, that's not the case. You're supposed to be working like your boss is Jesus. Your attitude about work says a lot about your attitude about Jesus. And we're going to dive into that a little bit next week as he wraps up this letter in chapter 4. But I, I want you to think about it. It's easy to think this, that blank is not important. It's easy. It's easy to think well, my attitude at work doesn't, it's not, that's not that important. I mean, I still show up and deliver. I'm the best in our organization at what I do. Why does it matter if I talk a little bit about my boss and kind of pull my coworkers into some conversations that aren't very life-giving about other people? How, how does that matter? Let's work that out. How does it matter how I treat my kids? I mean, I love them. They know I love them. I tell them I love them. But they did something. It was frustrating. I have a right to yell at them. Why does it matter how I treat them in that moment? I mean, how does it, why does it matter how I express my love for my spouse? They know I love them. I show up all the time at home. I'm there. I'm present. I, I bring home my paycheck. I help pay the bills. It does matter. It does matter. Because everything that happens on the inside is going to find its way to the outside. Everything that happens on the outside is reverberating from what's happening on the inside. And this is why in this chapter, the Apostle Paul invites you, and I'm here today to invite you into something that is new. It's new, not just upgraded, not just better, new. That's the promise. That's the offer. Some of y'all have been through really tough stuff in life. And the invitation to something new sounds real good. Some of y'all feel like it's going pretty good right now. And the invitation to new seems offensive. I want you to hear me. God's new is better than whatever you got right now. And it starts on the inside. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.